0: This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. I'm Tracy Bumgard, driving the show with Amanda Matshaka, Usani Matibula and Neto Chimani. Your top stories on Africa Digest this hour. South Africa's majority population own the smallest percentage of the country's private land, according to a land audit. Kenya's Chief Justice warns the country's state cof- officers rather against defying court orders hours after the country's authorities deported a lawyer charged with treason. In economics, right groups call for two oil giants to be kicked off the board of a global anti-corruption effort. And in sports, the Court of Arbitration for Sport hopes to reach a decision on the appeals of 47 Russian athletes and coaches before Friday. But first, the news with Amanda.
1: Thank you Tracy. Good evening. Guinea and the international community have appealed for calm after seven people were killed, including five young children in violence linked to fraud allegations that marred local elections at the weekend. Sunday's vote was the first of its kind since the end of the era of military dictatorship. It followed eight years of delays blamed on lack of funds, political infighting and the 2013 to 2016 Ebola crisis. But Andres has fled in the West African country after the with the death toll climbing following a night of violence. Opposition leaders have denounced the long-delayed local elections, saying vote rigging with proxy ballots occurred at several polling stations in favor of the party of President Alpha Conde. The British-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights says the latest Syrian government airstrikes have killed more than 20 civilians in the rebel-held region of Eastern Ghouta in Damascus. The monitoring group says a total of 80 people have died since the attacks began earlier this week. The United Nations has called for an immediate ceasefire. The BBC's Martin Patience reports.
2: Helicopter loaded with barrels,
3: launched a barrel bomb loaded with chlorine against Sarakib, and 15 civilians were uh, intoxicated. Three white helmets volunteers also were intoxicated uh, with symptoms of suffocation, and they were smelling chlorine, and they had symptoms of irritation in their eyes and agitation.
1: South Africa's ruling ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa has assured citizens that his engagement with President Jacob Zuma seeks to find a speedy resolution to the current leadership and political impasse. Ramaphosa was responding to the heightened anxiety over the fate of President Zuma after the State of the Nation address was postponed on Wednesday. Zuma also faces a no-confidence motion later this month. Sepoy Kanning reports. We apologize for that. Human Rights Watch says the lack of forward planning and poor coordination between The South African Western Cape Provinces municipal and national governments has led to the current water crisis in the province. Cape Town needs to save at least 100 million litres more per day to avoid Day Zero, where there will be a total shutdown of water supply. The advocacy group says the province's water crisis response needs to protect the rights of millions of citizens. Southern Africa Director at Human Rights Watch Dewa Mavinga explains.
2: There has been a lot of focus on uh, issues to do with water consumption and uh, forward planning uh, by the capital municipality, uh, as well as uh, poor coordination between the municipality and the Western Cape government, as well as the national authorities. From the point of view of Human Rights Watch, we're saying it should not really be about the blame games, but about focusing on solutions in a coordinated manner highlighting a rights-based approach which addresses the needs of the people especially the most vulnerable members of the community
1: and finally the authorities in the self-declared republic of somaliland have issued a religious edict banning some form of female genital mutilation The Minister of Religious Affairs in the northeastern African country says anyone caught performing the operation will be punished. The BBC's Mary Harper reports. If it's observed, this edict has the potential to change
4: the lives of millions of Somali women. The World Health Organization estimates 98% of them are circumcised. Many undergo an extreme procedure whereby much of their external genitalia are removed. The women are then sewn up, leading to severe problems with urination, menstruation and childbirth. Somaliland says it will set up neighbourhood watch committees to ensure the ban is implemented. But in this
1: intensely conservative society, it's likely to take time. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machaga.
0: South Africa's majority population, black Africans, own the smallest percentage of the country's private land compared to their white counterparts, who own almost three quarters. This is despite the government's efforts to redistribute land to the black majority. The statistics are contained in a 36-page report titled The Land Audit Report, commissioned by the Rural Development and Land Reform Department. The department says since the dawn of democracy, no official information has been published on land ownership according to Race, Gender and Nationality, except a report of the department published in 2013, which focused on land owned by the state. According to Dr. Wallace M'Gortley, a land expert who has previously served as chief land claims commissioner in the country, the findings in the latest land audit report are not surprising.
5: I, I, I do think that the issue of land, uh, especially equity in ownership, is uh, long overdue. This uh, report simply gives the the detail of the disparities in land ownership between black and white. We we always have known that there is a quite a, a, a very wide gap. Uh, however, the, the proposals, I mean, you know, I think the. The problem in 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 especially in South Africa is that when we are face, when we are facing a particular problem, we think that it is for, for the first time. Whereas, uh, you know, in Africa as a whole, there are I think models by now which, if we were to look at, they would help us in so that we do not reinvent the wheel. You know, for example, you know, in Kenya there is a project called One Acre Fund. In fact. It's now operating not only in Kenya, but it was extended and expanded to Burundi, Rwanda, Uganda, Tanzania, and Malawi. And operates uh, to assist, you know, farmers who already have the land. And its motto is called uh, Farmers First. It has got a revolving loan fund, you know, which helps them to maximize their harvest. Now, uh, such an operational fund we could also have in South Africa, but in South Africa our problem is that we still have to acquire land. So we would need them to set up a land acquisition revolving loan fund and uh, to speed up the land ownership, you know, by black people and also narrow the, the, the land ownership, you know, gap. So this, I mean, we don't actually have to go as far as, you know, land tax and all of that. And and also what I like about the, uh, also the proposal, the proposal on national land rights, you know, legislation, that we must also put in place. And there, among other things, we'd have to look at those instances in the past where the state unduly favored whites, for example, as against blacks. And a clear example of this is in the cooperatives, you know, which only had white membership and were allocated subsidies grants and loans which were denied black farmers.
6: But but is that going to be easy, doctor? Because according to this report the state owns about 20 million hectares of land compared with 93 million hectares which is in private hands and of these portions are being converted for commercial, residential and industrial use. Is it going to be easy and are you surprised by these stats?
5: Uh, Well, I, I think it is precisely because of that that disparity that the state must use, the government must use its political muscle in putting in place legislation as a remedial measure. And that is would be in line with the Constitution, even as it stands. Clause Section 25, you know, among other things, calls for the state to take remedial measures to correct the injustices of the past. So, such legislation would actually be in line and in consonance with the Constitution, precisely to bring about... A situation of parity between, I mean, in, in the ownership of land between black and white people
6: in this country. Now, do you think the findings of this report, Doctor, will bolster the African National Congress plans to steam ahead with a resolution taken at its national elective conference in December to amend the constitution to expropriate land without competition? This is an emotive issue that has sparked and uh, from uh, many private landowners.
5: Yeah, yeah, no, you know, that is a more intractable problem, the problem of going the route of amending the Constitution. Sure. Because the, 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 the NC on its own is not going to be able. No one will have that kind of uh, muscle. It no longer commands a two-thirds majority, you know, in in, in Parliament. So that route is not going to be an easy route to have the constitution amended uh, to achieve this particular purpose.
6: Now, the report also classifies uh, as state land uh, the land owned by the Ingonyama Trust, uh, of which King Goodwill Zolitin is uh, the sole uh, trustee. This comes on the back of another decision uh, the ANC took at its December conference to dismantle uh, the Ingonyama Trust Board and transfer uh, the Atlanta least 3 million hectares it controls uh, to government as part of its program of radical economic transformation. Do you think uh, dismantling Ingonyama Trust is uh, the way to go to address uh, this emotive matter?
5: Yeah, you see, again, I think it is not prudent, it is not wise to let a situ- to allow a situation where some kind of rights vest in something, and then later you want to change that, because you want to have problems. I mean, they have allowed for more than twenty years now the Ngonyama Trust to have supervision over that land, and to take that away now is going to be problematic. And again, I am saying that in respect of all state land, the government can introduce legislation. Again, this land administration uh, rights legislation would also address even that situation of Ngonyama Trust. And the government may, may not have to divest ownership by Ngonyama Trust, but in a sense coerce it to make, because the important thing is to allow people to have access to land, to utilize the land for productive purposes. And I don't think we must be obsessed about ownership of land, because ownership of land, again, when that land is not being utilized productively, can also be hollow, but critically is to allow people to have access to land so that they may use that land uh, productively for, 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 for their livelihood.
0: That's Dr. Wallace Mgotli, land expert in South Africa, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbelo Munjalele. Kenya's Chief Justice David Maraha has warned the country state offer- offers. Rather, officers against defying court orders hours after the country's authorities deported a lawyer charged with treason following opposition leader Raila Odinga swearing in ceremony last week. Kenyan lawyer Muguna Muguna was arrested on Friday. He was granted bail, but the police kept him in custody until his deportation to Canada. While the Kenyan government says Muguna lost his citizenship when he denounced his citizenship, the lawyer said the government was out to quash the opposition. Sarah Kimani
7: reports. Muguna Muguna was expected in court on Wednesday as ordered by the High Court Judge Luka Kimaru. Instead, the court heard that Muguna had been deported. The Kenyan government is on the spot for ignoring court orders. Luka Kimaru is a High Court Judge.
6: It is clear to this court that there is an obvious contempt of the orders of this court and a deliberate attempt by state agencies to subvert the rule of law in this country.
7: The judge's outrage was echoed by lawyer John Haminwa.
6: What is
5: happening now, members of the executive are disobeying court orders. Court orders in any country are never disobeyed. The alternative is chaos. The moment you begin disobeying court orders. You should never, never disobey court orders. Whether they are right or wrong, you obey them. If they are wrong, you then come to court and question them.
7: Chief Justice David Maraga, in a statement, said courts are temples of justice and should never be despoiled through acts of physical transgressions or blatant disregard of their pronouncements. Last week, authorities defied a court order to restore broadcasts after they switched off four TV stations for broadcasting Odinga's event. Two have since been reinstated. Biguna Biguna faced treason charges for participating in Raila Odinga's mock swearing-in ceremony. He has accused Kenyan authorities of violating his rights. As the government crackdown on the opposition continued, at least 14 politicians allied to Odinga's National Super Alliance, NASA, had their passports revoked. Odinga boycotted repeat elections in October over what he claims was a biased electoral commission. Kenyatta won with 98% of the vote. He was sworn in for his second and final term three months ago. Sarah Kimani, Kenya.
1: Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
5: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
1: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For
6: Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Mjorele in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia,
1: I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective
0: South African political analyst Susan Boyson says the stage is set for the exit of Jacob Zuma as South Africa's president The country woke up to another day of confusion following a week of uncertainty on Zuma's future Yesterday, Speaker of the National Assembly, Baleka Mbete, announced that the scheduled State of the Nation address, which was set for tomorrow, February the 8th, was postponed till further notice. The postponement comes after the opposition parties, the Democratic Alliance and the Economic Freedom Fighters, wrote to Mbete requesting that President Zuma not be allowed to deliver the address. There's been speculation on Zuma's departure, but still no major announcement. To unpack more on what this means for South Africa, over to Professor Susan (laughs) Boyson.
8: Yes, indeed. This is a time of huge suspense. And you have got every right as citizens of South Africa to get clarity, to expect clarity, to arrive very, very soon. And in many ways, the ANC is really playing with fire by keeping the nation in suspense, by subjecting, honestly, national government processes to the internal workings of the ANC. It is really as if this ANC still has that very, very special status in South African politics that the whole nation's politics can be put on hold just so that the ANC can sort out its internal problems. So very remarkable aspect, characteristic of this period is that convergence of internal anc politics with Mm -hmm. national politics how everything now is in limbo until we get the state of the nation address and the state of the nation address will then be followed by the annual budget address
9: Yeah. Now, everything we've heard up until now, of course, um, largely speculation. Of course, there have been reports that um, the president has been asked to resign and he's uh, vehemently refused. Is this, an, on his part, possibly an attempt to, to really fight tooth and nail to finish his term? I think it is fighting tooth and nail at this stage just to get a few extra mm. days
8: or perhaps at best weeks. Because the tide has turned against Jacob Zuma, his own party, like Dalim Porsa, also referred to in the case comparing with Zimbabwe and Robert Mugabe, in Zuma's case, his own party has turned around him. The National Executive Committee, which was still quite ambiguous after the mm-hmm. December mm-hmm. 2017 NASRIC elections. The NWC, following the NEC has also turned against him. Nobody was resisting when, about a week ago, that committee said, "Top six of the ANC go and talk to Zuma with a view to getting the modalities in place for his exit." And so, so the ANC has turned. But a weakness, if I may call it a weakness, in the ANC's repertoire here is that they are insisting that. He must leave in a dignified way, and he must not be humiliated in that process. And Zuma, shrewd, uh, calculated, (laughs) strategic Mm -hmm. as he is, is really playing those two conditions. The dignified exit is really another term, for he must voluntarily, it's not quite voluntarily anymore, because AC structures have turned against him, but still... Voluntarily resigned. voluntarily here meaning that the ANC, NEC, which was on the verge of having its meeting tonight to do exactly that, was then stalled late last night around 10 o'clock when the announcement came that there had been quote-unquote constructive and fruitful Mm. deliberations between Zuma and successor Ramaphosa. And apparently
9: A. Mm. M. M. Shule was also involved in that. Mm. Now, one thing that's happened, you know, with all the speculation and the uncertainty is that it's almost shone the spotlight on Sir Ramaphosa's leadership, you know, as the party head at this time. A lot of people um, are really saying that he's not a man who's very decisive. Dhalimbo of the EFF coming out and saying he's not able to make decisions. He's uh, basically toothless in the party. Is this a fair analysis at at this point? And uh, is this, you know, a affecting Ramaphosa possibly in a bad light or the society? It
8: is definitely a very fashionable type of analysis at this stage, but it does not take into consideration sufficiently that the strategic aim that Ramaphosa has to play of necessity, he is elected as the leader of the ANC and he is expected, mandated at all times to act in terms of what would he what he would regard as and re- even what he had instructed at. He's not a king, a monarch, or someone that can do absolutely his own thing. He's a party leader. He has to take many of these instructions and directors from that party that he is leading now, whether we like it or not, and that the uh, mandate, he cannot be divisive. I mm-hmm. personally also would disagree and think he should be more decisive in some respects and get this over with. But then he is a party leader, he's not an individual acting there, and he is not his own boss in that yeah. respect. So he has to take those instructions.
9: Professor Boyson, w- what are we likely to see happening in the next few days? EFF's Dalim Bofu came out saying that uh, should Zuma voluntarily you know, resign, then that should be happening in the next few days or so. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot more uncertainty in the next few weeks. What are we likely to see happening? Well,
8: in my analysis since last night, I've also been saying it is really the stage is set. Last night, the stage, before 10 o'clock, the stage was absolutely set for an NEC instruction to Zuma to exit tonight. Given that he has apparently been given a few days leeway, I cannot imagine that it can be a few days more, more than a few days leeway because the state of the nation addresses such a strategic, orientational, event for the ANC and the ANC has to move ahead and the budget cannot be postponed and the ANC retain credibility at the same time and given the closeness of those events I really think Zuma has got a few days and in the next few days he will actually be tendering a resignation. We've also mm. seen some of the media reports of course that he's trying to get additional preconditions met with the he honestly does not have much leeway in that respect. Mm.
0: That is Professor Susan Boyson, South African political analyst on the line talking to Zikona Miso. The month of February is recognized as National Healthy Lifestyles Awareness Month in South Africa. The purpose of the annual campaign is to educate South Africans about how healthy living could avert the growing number of diseases of lifestyle, such as heart disease, diabetes and cancer, which combined claim the lives of more than 270,000 people annually in the country. In our weekly look at health issues, we focus attention on the purpose on the month, as well as the health benefits of keeping healthy. Professor Christo Muller is the Chief Specialist Scientist at the South African Medical Research Council.
3: Well, firstly, I would say one of the major health challenges facing not only South Africa but the world at large is the increase in metabolic disease, which is associated with bad lifestyles. This includes unhealthy diet, lack of exercise, increased stress, and all these factors contribute into a dysfunctional metabolic profile in people. They become obese, they become insulin resistant, and eventually we see this enormous rise in type 2 diabetes.
10: Let's look at this burden of lifestyle diseases in South Africa. Are you saying that it's a big problem?
3: It is a massive problem in South Africa. One of the major problems facing our health sector is how to turn the increase in these uh, metabolic diseases around because the downstream associated diseases with this metabolic defects, including cardiovascular disease, we include things like, for example, kidney failure, we include things like loss of sight, blindness, as well as increased incidence of dementia, which is prevalent in our societies.
10: Is it known, Professor, why the country has such a high burden? What is it attributed to?
3: Yes, well, there are two factors. Obviously, some people are more susceptible. They have genetic predispositions towards developing these diseases. But secondary to that, and almost more importantly, is that the current lifestyle that we follow, especially the Western diet sort of lifestyle with uh, high fats, high sugars, And obviously there are a lot of pollutants around and this causes the dysfunctional metabolic disease.
10: And despite all of this, are most of us proactive about our health? I'm hoping it's increasing
3: because if you look at, for example, the popularity of people going for more organic foods, people going to gyms, at least the awareness of taking care of your health is increasing.
10: Please touch a bit on the role of a healthy diet and how some compounds found in rooibos tea can help reduce one's risk of developing these diseases.
3: Yes, I think the most important thing is that one needs a well-balanced diet. Avoid too much sugar, high saturated fats. Reduce that. increase your leafy vegetables and especially in terms of rooibos and other such uh, products is that they add to our diet in terms of several bioactive compounds called polyphenols, which is important for maintaining healthy metabolism. And these are easily added without adding extra calories to your daily diet. Certainly it can either protect you against the development of these diseases or at least slow the progression of these diseases. And I think this is where we are now, that we realize we have to have a preventative approach. Diet is key to us preventing the escalation of these diseases.
10: Now, for the benefit of some of our listeners who may not know, what are the benefits of maintaining a healthy lifestyle?
3: Well, it's related to reducing your risk factors for developing dysfunctional metabolism and diseases associated with it. For example, keeping or maintaining a normal weight, not becoming obese, and the subsequent downstream diseases associated with that, for example, type 2 diabetes, increasing your risk for developing cardiovascular disease, and so forth. That is the long-term goal, is to prevent these, or the incidence of developing these diseases later in life.
10: What about physical activity? How important is it in helping us to get healthy? Physical
3: activity does contribute greatly to not only the health itself, but also well-being and I think it's part of a healthy lifestyle is that we need to understand that we're not made to sit for eight hours in our office or so we need to move and we need to improve our circulation so a healthy lifestyle certainly includes regular exercise not only to ensure fitness but also to ensure the sense of well-being that fitter people encounter
0: That's Professor Christo Muller, the Chief Specialist Scientist at the South African Medical Research Council, talking to Elizabeth Ledige. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. The Government of the Democratic Republic of Congo, together with a consortium of international partners, have joined forces in a move that will aim to fight one of the devastating diseases commonly known as the sleeping sickness. The country's government recently committed to eliminating the disease by 2020 and has outlined the upcoming national strategy for achieving this goal. To speak to us more about this, we are joined on the line by Dr. Leon Kapenga, the deputy director for the country program of the international nonprofit organization PATH in the DRC. Good evening. Good evening. First of all, what is the scientific name for the sleeping sickness?
2: Uh, the scientific name is uh, trypanosomiasis uh, uh, this is uh, the call, uh, the common call, uh, name that we use uh, trypanosomiasis
0: okay what exactly is the sleeping sickness and what causes it
2: the disease is caused by uh, caused by a parasite that is uh, used to uh, one uh, fly it's called moose. Uh, Flight CT that uh, can bite someone so that he can uh, transmit this disease, its parasite, into his blood. And uh, after a few weeks, so he became sick and uh, having fever and uh, pain all the body and then uh, becoming worse if nothing is not done.
0: Now, which country carries the heaviest burden of cases in sub-Saharan Africa and why?
2: I think this is uh, the DRC is the biggest uh, country that has around 80 or 84% of this disease in Africa and this is due to the eco uh, the, the the environment uh, this is far, uh, that that can a- make able to develop this flies T uh, tt so that the tt flies uh, uh, and uh, uh, growing and uh, spreading around this, this environment uh, into uh, the DRC. We have noticed this in uh, places where there are big forests and rivers so that uh, the T flies grow very well there.
0: Now, how successful have previous efforts been in reducing the number of cases?
2: The first efforts have been done uh, into the country uh, up to uh, the year 1960. Uh, and then it was at the big low uh, uh, the moment that we have very small cases uh, noticed in uh, during, uh, uh, the, let me say, around the independence of the uh, DRC, uh, called before the Belgium Congo. And then when they got this independence into the country, so everyone who has been committed in struggling and working on this field, so uh, people went abroad, back to Belgium, and then the Congolese did not handle this uh, by themselves without any means and support. And uh, at the time being, this year, Uh, This is why the government committed this new declaration of eliminating uh, sleeping disease. We are at the same point with around 2,000 or 3,000 cases notified into the country. So the the numbers of cases have decreased a lot. And now we are expecting that if we, we have the new strategy on board, we can eliminate the disease.
0: Now, how do you plan on eliminating this disease in tw- by 2020?
2: Yes, the new strategies have uh, used uh, now to uh, implement into the country a new technology. So uh, making a geospatial mapping to identify where people are living. This is very interesting and uh, we are doing this in the place, the area where we have a lot of cases. And then we have divided the mobile teams into small teams. Uh, Previously, these have been working only with uh, car and uh, Jeep, etc. Now we are using motorbike. And the small teams can go everywhere and very faster. And then reaching people who are in remote area.
0: And what do you think the successful implementation of your strategy largely depends on? The, this
2: strategy depends on everything we are investing in the, 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 the elimination of this disease. Uh, let me say donors on one side and technical expertise uh, on the other side. Uh, remember that uh, the technical expertise on this program is with ITM, ITM, uh, uh, Belgium uh, institute, which is very keen and knows what to do. And uh, ourselves as part, we are bringing in also this uh, innovation of motivating people who are working in a remote area by paying to them their incentive in time, by giving to them any supplies that they need so that they can do the job properly.
0: And are there any plans to sustain efforts to eliminate the sleeping sickness in the long term?
2: Sure, we expected to do that because uh, how we have the trends of notified cases shows that we are on a good way. And we are working together with all the partners involved in this uh, fighting so that we can succeed.
0: Dr. Kapenga, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Dr. Leon Kapenga, the Deputy Director for the Country Program of the International Non-Profit Organization PATH in the DRC.
6: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Namu kwenye laini ya simeo heavy sasa na diunga modya komodya.
9: Parafina, parafina, terre de
4: soleil.
1: Kia makande mwalimu kina miriam.
6: Está na companhia do serviço em lingua portuguesa, canal Africa, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Oakland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African
0: perspective. Science and gender equality are both vital for the achievement of the internationally agreed development goals. Over the past 15 years, the global community has made a lot of effort in inspiring and engaging women and girls in science. Unfortunately, women and girls continue to be excluded from participating fully in science. Women's participation in the field of science will therefore be on the spot last this coming Sunday, which marks Women in Science Day. Dr. Taime Sylvester from the South African Stellenbosch University is a passionate advocate for women in science.
11: I started off my scientific training at Cape Peninsula University of Science and Technology. And my first degree was a national diploma in biomedical technology, which opened up a career in a diagnostic or a diagnostic lab, such as the NHLS or Pathcare. But I have quite a naturally inquisitive mind, so I immediately went on this, uh, my further studies and I stayed at CPUT and I did my um, master's degree also in biomedical technology with a focus on physiology. So I looked at whether supplementation with a nut that's naturally consumed in Western Africa could provide protection during a heart attack. After I did that, uh, I came to Stellenbosch University where I did my PhD in um, molecular biology focusing on animal tuberculosis and I actually investigated the immune response to tuberculosis in African lions.
4: You just touched on something very interesting that you have quite an inquisitive mind and amongst the things that you've done. I understand that you've also, as you mentioned, focused on understanding the immune response to bovine tuberculosis and African lions. Just in simple terms for the benefit of our listeners, what exactly are we talking about bovine tuberculosis and how prevalent is it in Africa?
11: So many people are aware of tuberculosis or TB in humans, but they don't realize that animals can also get TB. And although animals can get the same type of TB that humans get, they're mostly affected by bovine TB. This is quite serious because it causes um, serious consequences in animals. But humans can also get affected by bovine tuberculosis. A lot of people drink unpasteurized milk or they eat meat that hasn't been properly cooked and that's how they can actually get bovine TB from the animals. But more than that, it has quite a severe impact on the economy because obviously these animals are a source of income for farmers and for our industry, I mean, we can't export meat which has infected with bovine TB and also wildlife is quite a big industry in South Africa. So if you have animals that are getting sick of TB and dying or it's quite an issue. Also for the trade of these animals. If you have TB in an area you have to quarantine that area and then animals cannot be moved out of the area.
4: How has your career path been like, getting where you are now, considering that you are in a field that has been regarded as a male-dominated? How has your journey as a woman been like? I've been
11: very fortunate in the sense that I've had a mother that has always supported my academic expertise. and I was raised by a single mom, and she always encouraged us to go out and live our dreams and to never let anyone stand in your way. And I think through doing that, I have been attracted to institutions or groups that support women in um, academia. And I've been very lucky. I've I've had great mentors to support me along the way, and I've had fantastic women in science as role models. When I was a student, there were a great number of women in our division that had PhDs, that were researchers, one of which, um, Professor Piham Khan, she is now a dean in Namibia, and she always said to me that whatever you want to achieve, you can. You just have to remember that as a woman, you need to be able to find your balance and not get lost
4: as the chairperson of the association of south african women in science and engineering what's your assessment in terms of how the country is doing with regards to empowering more women to have a role in the science field and academically what do you make of the situation is the country doing enough are we seeing more women advancing in the field well, I just have to commend Minister Malusi
11: because she really is doing a lot for women in science. In 2016, they made available 42 research chairs. So these NRS research chairs are specifically to try and advance science, identify key areas that require more funding and more training, and she specifically said that these 42 research chairs. Can only go to women. So I mean, that is a fantastic step towards, you know, empowering women in South Africa to go into science. But is it enough? I don't think so. I, I mean, it's great from the ministry side, but it's, it's individual institutions have to be providing that support. I, I mean, recently, something and S.O.Y. has been tackling this issue of maternity leave and maternity benefits. As a postdoctoral researcher, there is no such thing as a maternity benefit.
0: That's Dr. Taimi Sylvester from the South African Stellenbosch University on the line talking to Jane Tata
6: Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 447 one seven double one. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial six zero five four seven one seven double one. Channel Africa giving you the African perspective.
0: Time now for your economic news. We have Wasani Matibula.
12: Thanks, Tracy. Good evening. Oil giants, uh, ExxonMobil and Chevron should be kicked off the board of a global anti-corruption effort because they have actively sought to undermine it. The unusual call come from organizations uh, including Oxfam and Global Witness comes week before the board of the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative is due to hold a periodic meeting in Oslo. Launched in 2002 by the then British Prime Minister Tony Blair, the initiative compels oil and gas companies to disclose the payments they make to governments around the world in leases, taxes and royalty payments with the aim of deterring theft, embezzlement, bribery and other malfeasance. Corruption in oil and gas and mineral-rich nations frequently starves public education, health care and infrastructure of the wealth produced by extractive industries. Mozambique's Council of Ministers has approved the development plan for the Anadako Petroleum Corporation's liquefied natural gas project in the north of the country, an investment estimated at about 20 billion US dollars. The next major requirement that the Anadako led consortium has to meet before reaching a final investment decision on the project is to sign enough sales and purchase agreements. Anadarko and his partners have agreed the price and volumes for 5.1 million tonnes a year of gas production out of 8.5 million tonnes required to reach financial close. ExxonMobil and ENI are developing another gas project near Anadakos. The development of Mozambique's gas deposits could make the southeastern African nation the world's fourth biggest natural gas exporter. ESCOM has welcomed the decision by South Africa's Competition Commission to refer for prosecution four companies accused of price-fixing and tender collusion in an ESCOM tender. The embattled South African power utility says the contract with SGB CAPE, one of the companies involved, is one of hundreds of contracts currently under review at the power utility. ESCOM spokesperson Kulupasiwe explains.
6: You have a company winning and then at some point uh, we withdrew with uh, one person signing for all of them and essentially using the same information. Internally we will be investigating that matter. ESCOM has already indicated that there are 160 cases that we are looking into of contracts of more than 1 billion rand. So this one probably will be one of those that we will be reviewing.
12: The global mining industry is expected to continue sharing jobs as more and more mines become deeper and resources harder to find. A leading mining expert says people will be replaced by machines in the next few years, especially in the gold and platinum mining sectors. The industry has lost almost 50,000 jobs in South Africa since 2012. Energy and resources leader at Deloitte, Andre Lane.
13: I mean, This is an industry where the employment profile is going to change globally. Because what's happening is mines are getting deeper and deeper and harder and harder to mine. So there is an inevitable move towards technology, automation, digitization. And that's going to change the nature of the, of the employment profile. I think what it does do, though, is it keeps mine, mines open for a lot longer. And it brings resources that are currently unmineable
0: into, into pay.
12: And the South African Chamber of Mines says it needs ethical leaders to develop the industry for the benefit of South Africans. Despite the positive changes made, the mining sector continues to face a number of challenges with regards to transformation. The sector says it leads in skills development. Senior representative from the South African Chamber of Mines, Tabelo Chabana.
5: I think certainly on the employment equity side, we might be lagging. It's actually quite difficult to attract um, young people in particular. We're talking physical labour. The industry does need sound ethical leadership whose primary interests are South Africa and developing the mining industry for the the benefit of South Africans. Any, Any transformation journey, whether it's in the mining sector or other sectors of the economy, there are areas where it has gone wrong. There are areas where, yes, transactions have gone to the usual suspects and some of the politically connected, but that shouldn't take away from the other areas of transformation, whether it be in the employment equity, skills development, community development.
12: Financial indicators are uh, the dollar at uh, 1,244 South African rents at 9.5. But on the and 9.71 and Gwacha also trading at 71 pounds to the British pound and 80 cents against the euro. Commodities gold $1,239, platinum $991 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $67.40 per barrel. That's how it's looking.
0: Time now for your sports news.
13: Good evening, sport fans. With your latest Channel Africa Sport News at this hour, I'm Neto and Etio Chamani. Starting off with Olympic news, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, Kaz says it hoped to reach a decision on the appeals of 47 Russian athletes and coaches before Friday's Pyeongchang 2018 Winter Olympic Games opening ceremony. Kaz opened another arbitration procedure for 15 athletes and coaches who have appealed against their exclusion from the Pyeongchang Games by the International Olympic Committee, IOC. The car secretary general, Matthew Rabe, explains.
14: Okay, um, today, so we have started uh, the hearing in the case involving 32 Russian athletes who have challenged uh, the decision of the IOC not to allow uh, their participation in the Olympic Games. The hearing has been adjourned. We will resume it tomorrow at 12 in order also to hear the second case which has been filed today involving 15 athletes and coaches. So no decision today. Uh, we resume the hearing tomorrow and possibly a final uh, decision can be rendered at the end of the day tomorrow. I would not say it's impossible, but the goal is really to finish before uh, the opening and well in advance.
13: Earlier in the week, the IOC said it was surprised and couldn't explain the decision by Kaz to overturn the lifetime pants of 28 athletes in total. On Wednesday, the Kaz Secretary General Matthew Reap responded to that criticism and defended the institution structure and processes.
14: Uh, we have done our job. I think we delivered the decisions as promised. That is to say at the end, you're talking about the 28 uh, Russian athletes. We delivered the decisions as promised uh, at the end of the month, uh, January. We could not expect to deliver 39 reason awards, uh, which each of them probably uh, have uh, 40 or 50 pages. Uh, There was no surprise for that. At least, for us but the reaction was very strong i understand the, the disappointment of the ioc because they expected an, another verdict but we should not uh, uh, it's better to wait before criticizing the decisions themselves because they have not been drafted yet so uh, it's important to to wait for that Perhaps uh, there are some criticism on the scientific uh, point of view, but uh, for the moment we don't know because we don't have the the rulings. I must support my my panel of arbitrators and uh, so far I think the procedure was fully uh, respected and uh, I will trust that they will deliver proper decisions.
13: Reap also said there was no conflict of interest for the CAS president. John Coates, who is also an IOC vice president, insisting that Coates had no say in the decisions made by CAS and his role was focused on administrative duties.
14: He uh, rightly said that he's uh, only a president dealing with administrative and, and funding issues. He's not involved at all in, in the uh, arbitration uh, system because he doesn't uh, have a role in the uh, decisions. He doesn't have a role in the constitution of each panel. So it's really a separate uh, uh, job and uh, there is no interaction or interference between IOC and CAS. So this is why I think it's important to, rest to comply with the separate of separation of powers, uh, IOC is dealing with the organization of the games, uh, it's uh, the uh, regulatory body and we are the tribunal and we render decisions uh, when we are asked to.
13: Marcel Hirscher has dominated World Cup skiing for the past six seasons, but the Austrian has admitted that a first amazing Olympic gold medal would be the icing on the cake. Despite winning six overall World Cup Crystal Globes between 2012 and 2017, with 55 victories and 120 podiums, Hisha has just won individual medal at the Winter Games, silver in the slalom in Sochi in 2014. The 20-year-old finished a heartbreaking fourth in the giant slalom in both Sochi and Vancouver four years earlier, where he has also came in fifth in the slalom. On to soccer news. South African Premiership side Mamilori Sundown's captain, Klompo Gekana, says his charges are ready for a Friday night clash against Cape Town All-Stars in a NetBank Cup last 32 game at Athlon Stadium. Gekana acknowledges that it won't be an easy ride playing against the Minos, but they are all well prepared.
5: We know their personnel, we know how to play against around them, so when we play teams that we don't know... I think we just have to use our guesswork and try to make sure we double our effort because it's not going to be easy. I think they, they know about us. Obviously, they, they watch our matches. So uh, I, I foresee them giving us a tough time, but we just have to make sure that we win the match.
13: Finally, in cricket news. South African cricket domestic side Titans coach Mark Boucher says he plans to continue giving opportunities to his young players when the second half of their Sunfoil series campaign resumes against the Cape Cobras in Pinoni from tomorrow. After limited overs' action took precedence over the past three months, the four-day season will now be the focal point for the remaining five weeks in the term with all six teams still in contention for the title stay tuned on Channel Africa for Channel Africa sports I'm Neto and ETO chamani
0: this is Africa digest Recapping the top stories this hour, South Africa's majority population own the smallest percentage of the country's private land, according to a land audit. Kenya's Chief Justice warns the country's state officers against defying court orders, hours after the country's authorities deported a lawyer charged with treason. Well, that wraps up Africa Digest for today. From myself, Tracy Bumgard, producer Leandre Mayomi, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you for listening. For comments on the show, send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send an SMS to plus 2782-332-5905 or you can tweet us at channelafrica1. Until next time, goodbye.